It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, with the uh, World Series right around the corner, we figured a uh, good time to have our latest podcast. And later on, we'll kind of do a, uh, a list of some of your questions that you had for me on Twitter. We're going to hear from Jake Cronenworth, who's going to be the Olympic qualifier uh, for uh, Team USA as the Rays representative there. But we figure we kick things off with a guy who has covered baseball since the beginning in Tampa Bay, and that is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. And, Mark, if I would have told you in March, it's a Houston-Washington World Series. What would you have said to me at that time? I would think you meant for spring training, since they share a spring training <laughs> site over in Palm Beach, and they were playing for the spring training championship. I mean, the Astros certainly are a team that you would have thought could be in the mix, and I want to diminish that, Neil. But you know, the Nationals, they had a pretty mediocre year last year, and you know, they certainly didn't get off to much of an impressive start this year. I think there was a lot of sense of you know, them being an underachieving-type team, and it turned out that that slow start was really uh, just kind of laying the bait for everybody to think that. And then they turned it on and, and obviously had a really good season and you know got into the playoffs as a wild card, as the Rays did, and, and showed exactly, and as the Rays had hoped to as well, that you know, a wild card team that gets hot at the right time can be just as or more dangerous than anybody else. And certainly they are, and they're kind of waiting in the weeds. Before I get to the matchup itself, I'm kind of curious your take. The Yankees swept the Twins. The Rays extended Houston to a fifth and final game. Was it a lost opportunity for New York here? Because I thought they were pretty well positioned to try and get to the World Series after what happened in the divisional playoffs. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees, you know, really don't have anyone to blame but themselves. Had the Astros lost to the Yankees, I think there would have been a little discussion that, you know, the Rays taking them to the fifth game, forcing them to use Garrett Cole and jumble their pitching staff. Uh, would have had some type of impact, and, and you know, rightly so. But I don't think the Yankees had any excuse. They came out of that division series against the Twins relatively unscathed. You know, their their guys that they needed were set up to play. They just had a, a remarkable series of poor performances in the ALCS. I mean, you look at some of the offensive numbers from some of their key guys, and Encarnacion and Sanchez are two guys that stand out to me without having the numbers in front of me that just failed them. I mean, their numbers – the runners in scoring position were terrible. Their numbers overall were poor. Obviously, some of that has to do with Houston's pitching, but yet it wasn't even Houston's pitching set up uh, and maximized the best it could be. I think the Yankees, you know, Aaron Judge said it, that, you know, in that market, they look at it this way, and I think it was true that that ends up being a failure of a season, even though they won as many games as they did and got as far as they did. Yeah, you, you could certainly uh, make that argument for sure, and you could also argue that the Rays actually put up a better effort against Houston than New York did. Yeah, we were talking about, I was talking about that with John Romano the other day from our paper, and you know, we're saying, you know, it's obviously it's a later round and it's a seven-game series versus a five-game series, but do the Rays extending the Astros to five games in the division series format is that more of an accomplishment than the Yankees 
going to six games in the seven-game format. I think you could make the case it is. And, and now, from a race fan's perspective, I guess you can look at it two ways. You want it to have lost to the world champion, um, which really only has one race connection, and that's Robinson Chirinos. Or do you root for the underdog, that wild card team that the Rays were, which has a lot of race connections, starting with the guy who's managing the club and Davey Martinez, who was an original then Devil Ray? Yeah, and, and you always look at the positive side of that, Neil, but you could also add in, you know, if you're the Rays fan, do you have some uh, animosity toward the Astros for being the team that knocked you out, which mm-hmm. could also steer you toward the, the national side of things. But, yeah, there are definitely some Rays connections on the national side. Davey Martinez, the manager, a member of the original Devil Rays team, got the first hit and the first walk, which always gets glossed over in uh, Tampa Bay Devil Rays history. Uh, played, what, two and a half seasons for the Devil Rays. Uh, finished his career, spent a few years living here in Pinellas County, you know, just kind of being dad, and then decided he wanted to get back in. Joe Madden lured him back in kind of as a spring training instructor for a couple of years, made him the bench coach in 08. And, look, there are a lot of things that contributed to that 08 success, but I don't think you can ignore the fact that Davey Martinez joined the staff then too and brought a lot to it, was here for a good time, was here for most of that great run. And then when uh, Joe Madden left, Kevin Cash ended up getting the job. Dave Martinez was passed over, didn't make the final three even. Probably made the right decision in thinking he needed to go somewhere else. He could have stayed here in a different uh, role. And went on to the Cubs, worked with Joe Madden again for a few more years, got another opportunity. It was probably his seventh, I think. I've lost count a little bit, but I think his seventh interview for a manager's job, twice with the Nationals. And he got it the second time around. And like I said, first year okay, and second year here he is in the World Series. So that's the biggest of the connections. I know there are some others as well. Yes, I mean, it's Dribble Cabrera, Fernando Rodney, Tim Bogar, and Joe Dillon on the coaching staff. Obviously, Charlie Slows was an original voice of the uh, then Devil Rays on the radio side. So there are a lot of guys over there that certainly have connections to Tampa Bay. There are, and I mean, you mentioned Charlie Slows. That was the golden era of radio, right? Just kidding, David. Andy, if you're listening, just kidding. No, there are a handful of uh, former Rays over there. Dan Jennings, who was the Rays scouting mm-hmm. director for the first, I think, seven, eight years. He's in the front office over there. Uh, Mike Covich, who was yep. with the Rays organization for a long time, he's in the front office there. But, yeah, Ezra Cabrera was one of those kind of core guys when Kevin Cash took over. He wanted over here. Just played the 2015 season with the Rays, but I think he was a guy that you know, kind of set a tone, uh, played the game the right way, showed some of the young guys how you know they wanted to do things over here. You know, Fernando Rodney had you know two years with the Rays, one super super year. Remember, uh, you know, he came in and we all you know kind of heard about him, and he had a little bit of a reputation. It turned out to be one of the nicest and funniest guys you could ever want to cover, and you know, always accessible and affable and entertaining is probably a good word too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Daniel Hudson's a weird case. The Rays got him, I, I don't think by choice, as part of the return when they made the Corey Dickerson trade, and they ended up releasing him at the end of spring training in 18 and, and paid him quite a bit of money. You know, had a, were on the hook for his salary. Just didn't fit what they were trying to do at the time, and you know he didn't expect this either. He kind of bounced around as typical, started the year with the Blue Jays, got traded over to the Nationals, and just the way things work out in baseball sometimes. He got hot at a good time. Dave Martinez is the manager and the pitching coach staff over there. Had a lot of faith in him, and he's been closing games for them. So that's been an interesting a revolution as well. Yeah, certainly going to, hopefully for his sake, lead to a great opportunity when he hits free agency um, in the very near term. Um, before we get to some of the Rays offseason, give me your take. I, I think this is a fascinating series. A, you've got you know Cole and Scherzer to kick off a set. You've got Cole and Verlander on one side, 
uh, Scherzer and Strasburg on the other, and Patrick Corbin too, and, and Granke, if, if you're looking at kind of the one, two, three starters on both sides. Some very, very talented young players on both teams, a little less experienced for Washington. Uh, what's your take? I'll go Houston in six because I still think they're the best team. I do think they are the best team, and, and before I give you my prediction, I, you know, the little commentary is that it's kind of the anti-Rays World Series, and that this is going to be a World Series built on starting pitching, and then the idea that they're going to go deep, and obviously, you know, the Rays have their guys, but we know how creative and innovative they are, and, and you know, they've already seen some comments during this postseason, I know from Verlander, among others, you know, this is the way baseball was supposed to be, and I think we could debate that on another podcast, but it is interesting, this is going to be starting pitchers that are built to go deep, except for game four, because neither team apparently has a fourth starter that they trust, or excuse me, more so the Astros don't have a fourth starter that they trust. They took Wade Miley off their postseason roster since the first round, so it's kind of funny that it works out really well until they get to the game where they don't have a starter, then suddenly bullpen days are in vogue again. Uh, I do think, you know, the Nationals are a little bit of an older team. Trey Turner is another interesting guy who was very briefly mm-hmm. arrayed for a few minutes during a, a three-way trade involving Steven Sousa Jr., but I think the better team is the Astros. I think the better team will prevail. Uh, I do think, though, that the you know, Scherzer-Strasburg combination you know, can't be undervalued. And if they happen to catch the Astros back on their heels a little bit and can steal a game or two you know, in Houston, that could really flip it around when they get home. That's going to be quite the environment. I, I think both stadiums are going to be pretty wild. But I think just for the Nationals, you know, that first time in you know, modern history, let's put it that way, is really going to be something special there. Yeah, I look forward to it. I think it's going to be a good series. So you do go Houston in six, seven? What, what are you, what's... Um, let's see. Just because you said six, I'll have to top you on that, and I'll say Houston in seven. All right. All right. There you go. Looking forward to that. Uh, from a Ray standpoint, would, would this be the calm before the storm, so to speak? Because free agency doesn't start till a handful of days, technically, after the World Series. Um, you're kind of planning, and, and I know you wrote about it over the weekend in the Times. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a quiet week uh, for the Rays, and it's actually a good chance for them to get caught up. They obviously were a little bit behind, you know, the, the postseason going on, you know, 10 days or so more than uh, the other teams that they're competing with, you know, that weren't in the playoffs. So it gives them a chance to get caught up a little bit. The Rays typically are not players early in free agency. There's three free agents that they have that will come off their roster a day after the World Series ends. That's Garcia, Sogard, and Travis Darno. doesn't mean they can't resign them, but they come off the roster. The Rays are going to need some roster space. They've got to reinstate a couple guys from the 60-day injured list. So the, the net gain there is one spot. They're going to have three or four or maybe five guys they're going to want to add. Uh, for Rule 5 protection by the end of November or so. So there's a little bit of manipulating here. And, you know, I know there's different ways they can do this. They can wait to see how those free agents play out. Travis Darno is probably the most interesting one. You just kind of get the sense that, you know, he may have played his way uh, into a better contract or into more money than the Rays are probably going to offer him. Maybe we'll be surprised about that. That would be my initial kind of gut feeling going into this. I don't think uh, Avisail Garcia or Sogard will be back. I think they'll go off and you know have other places where they can go and fill roles for teams probably that have a little more need for them at this point. And then we'll see what the Rays do. I mean, you know, it's funny. Steve Sternberg, after the loss in Houston, said you know they don't really have a lot of work to do this offseason. They like the team. It's obviously a young core. It's obviously got a ton of talent. They've got a lot behind it in the minor leagues. But they'll always do something. And Eric Neander said as much when we talked to him the Friday after they were eliminated, where he said, you know, we don't have that much to do, but it's in our DNA to use this time to figure out what we can do, and we probably will make some moves. So I'd be shocked if they don't make a major move or two, you know, a couple trades here or there. It's just pretty much the Rays' way. 
So in your mind, then, uh, what would you say are the biggest needs um, that you hope, talking now in October, that come February, this team has found either answers to or maybe improved themselves in some regard? Well, I mean, look, I, I don't think any of us would have thought Mike Zanino would have had as poor of a season as he had. And, and I think there'll probably be a lot of talk from the Rays that they would anticipate him to rebound to some form. But they need to clarify their catcher situation. I mean, if they're going to put their stock in Zanino and Michael Perez, you know, that's going to be maybe a little bit of a reach. They may have to go out and figure out do they need to go get a catcher, whether it's to pair with Zanino, whether it's to move on from Zanino, whether it's to try to re-sign Darno, even if it's a little bit higher cost than they want. But I think they've got to get the catcher situation clarified. Emilio Pagan did a good job kind of filling in as the closer and, you know, kind of working his way into that role. But I think the number of home runs he allowed uh, and kind of the ups and downs he had during the season will at least create the conversation. Do they want to go get a closer? Do they want to rely on Jose Alvarado coming back? Do they want to trust Diego Castillo? I mean, I'm not saying they have to make a move, but I think clarity in that position is one that they're going to have to come to in their conversations and decide. You know, last year they didn't want to get someone because they didn't want to block the path of Alvarado or Castillo. Over the first couple weeks of the season, that looked like a great idea. Those guys were great, and then they both uh, tailed off. They had their own issues, and then Castillo bounced back strong. Alvarado obviously didn't come back and pitch at the end of the year. So I think clarifying the closer situation, deciding on a catcher, and, and I feel like this is a conversation we've had before, but I think they need to go get a right-handed hitter. And, you know, I don't think Jesus Aguiar did not impress when he was here and was a little bit of a tough fit positionally. Uh, if they let Avital Garcia leave via free agency, as I think they will, there's going to be a need there. Maybe that's an outfielder, but I think they need a right-handed hitter to kind of balance out some of those lefties that they have and, and have both at the major league level and some at the minor league level. Certainly going to make for a lot of interesting conversation going forward. I think you hit on three of the high notes. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if they – just consolidate some overall assets to try and upgrade um, just because of the whether they add three, four, five guys to the 40-man and try and add players. I, I think they want to get value back in return, whether it's short-term or long-term or whether they, they get a big piece like a Tommy Pham did in that kind of trade that they made at the deadline. I think those are the kind of moves that are going to make them better um, and have give them a better chance to catch Eastern and New York. Yeah, and, and you accomplish two things when you do that because you don't give away – players that you know have some value you don't end up having to release guys or you know make a, a kind of a dump trade where you don't get anything back you can take a couple of those guys that are 40-man guys or need to be 40-man guys and trade them on the other hand you know you, you you do have to at least raise the question you know how much of the future do they want to give away you know we saw them trade what three pretty good pitchers in the deal that ended up getting them Pagan. we saw them trade three players in the deal that got them fam. We saw them trade Stanek and Jesus Sanchez in the deal that got them Nick Anderson. So, you know, they have been more willing to trade from that core of minor league players, but you wonder how far they'll go in doing that and how much further they'll continue to do that. Going to make for interesting conversation for sure. Mark, enjoy the World Series. We certainly have enjoyed the conversation. Anytime, Neil. Anytime. You got it. Well, we certainly appreciate Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times coming on with us. And while the Rays, obviously, are not in the World Series this year, there are still some... Rays representatives playing at this time of year. And uh, one of those is Jay Cronenworth. He is, uh, had a terrific year. He was the MVP in Durham, and now he's going to represent Team USA in the what's known as the pre-qualifier for the upcoming Olympics. That is the Premier 12 event, and he now joins us. Jake, thanks very much. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on.
Tell me uh, how you found out about the news that you were representing uh, Team USA. How'd this come about? Um, I had shown up uh, for, I think it was the first game of playoffs, and uh, Brady Brady Williams, our manager in AAA, had called me in the office and said, hey, um, the guys from USA Baseball had called Jeff and said they uh, had a spot on the team for me if I wanted it. So uh, then the USA Baseball guys had reached out and, uh, you know, kind of explain the situation, and you know, I said for sure this would be a great opportunity. Hey, is, is this the first time you're representing Team USA? And what does it mean to you? What, what will it, what will it mean to you to wear that jersey? Yeah, this this is my first time. Didn't have the opportunity to do it in college. Um, I mean, it's going to be incredible. I think you know, once we're done with this whole thing. I think looking back on it is kind of maybe when it's going to settle in because things are going to go pretty fast in the next couple of weeks. But uh, just the whole, just wearing the, the U.S. thing across your chest is going to be something else. What did it mean when you told uh, your dad and uh, your brother about this? I would I would think this meant a lot to them too. Yeah, you know, they, they, they were very excited and uh, a lot of my family is going to come to Mexico for the first round, which will be fun to see them there and, I think I think it'll be the same situation for them. Where once they see me in the jersey, and, you know, they see the type of games that are getting played. It's going to be a lot of fun. For people who don't know, um, this is a 12-team tournament where two teams that uh, go far enough advance automatically to the Olympics, and they're bringing the Olympic baseball back to the Olympics. There's only six teams that qualify, so there's going to be a lot of competition for this. Have have you uh, have you looked at the other rosters? Have you given much thought, or is it kind of getting to know the guys now on Team USA? Um, yeah, uh, before I had gotten down here to Arizona, I had uh, I looked at some of the rosters and I saw Victor um, Reyes is going to play for Mexico, which is awesome. Congrats to him. Um, I think there might be a couple other Reyes guys and former Reyes guys playing uh, who I played with, which is going to be cool and. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, a great competition. Now, normally this time of year, you're usually kind of cooling down after a, a season. So when you found out in the in the playoffs for Durham that you were going to play for Team USA, how did you kind of handle this last month and a half? Did you stay in baseball shape? Did you just stay in physical shape? Tell us, give our, our race fans an idea of what you've been doing. Yeah, so I, I took those first couple, two and a half weeks off right after the season to just kind of relax and, you know, let my body recover a little bit. Um, started working out, uh, no baseball stuff. And then last week I started doing uh, baseball stuff before I got here to the training camp. And how uh, how challenging is it to get back into cleats? I know you're in Arizona right now as uh, the World <laughs> Series is about to get started. Uh, it's not, I mean, every time you, you lace them up, it's always fun. Uh, no matter what it's for, but it's definitely a little different uh, playing out here on dirt than it was uh, taking some ground balls on the dirt turf. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Uh, you're going to play what? Shortstop, second base, third base, as you did for most of your career in the race system. Yeah, I think that's the plan right now. Uh, not sure, uh, you know, if it's more shortstop or second, uh, one or the other, but. Uh, just it's going to be uh, an incredible experience and any way I can help them win is going to be uh, what I'm here for. Is this the first time you're going outside the country uh, since the games will be at least the first round, the opening round, or in Mexico? Uh, 
Yeah, so, I mean, I, I've been to some places in the Caribbean and then in Canada a lot when I was growing up. But, um, yeah, to Mexico, this will be the first time, and then hopefully on to Tokyo after that. Yeah, again, uh, top two teams in each group will advance to the, the next round, uh, which, again, will be played in, in Tokyo, Japan. Um, chatting with uh, Jake Cronenworth here. And, Jake, the other thing I wanted to touch base with you on is how you're preparing, too, for next year, because you're preparing for this. Will you then take some downtime before you get ready for the 2020 season? Um, and, and how will your prep different, let's say, from past seasons? Yeah, so... Um, it's probably not, I would say it's probably not going to change a lot. It's actually pretty, the schedule lines up actually fairly nice, uh, when this tournament's over, uh, hopefully, you know, we make it all the way to the end there or I think we would be getting back on the 18th of November where I could take that, those next couple weeks off just to relax and Thanksgiving comes up that next week. So it's kind of almost a, a perfect transition. That next, uh, the next couple of weeks, though, would be interesting too, because you would find out, I guess, formally after that whether you'll be added to the forty-man roster. Have you given much thought to that? Because um, the fact that you're not on the forty allows you to compete in this, but it could be days after that that you find out you're uh, you're going to be a big part of the race in 2020. Yeah, uh, I haven't given much thought about it yet. Uh, this uh, the past couple of weeks have been. Uh, pretty chaotic with scheduling and getting everything ready for this, uh, this trip. But yeah, I think coming back, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Certainly, uh, hopeful. I I would imagine you had such a terrific year. You were Durham's MVP. Um, I think we well documented that you also uh, pitched for the first time as a pro since you were drafted out of Michigan. Is your physical preparation either way going to, assuming that you're, uh, going to continue with the two-way program. Has your has your preparation for 2020? Will it differ in terms of what you're going to do to get ready for next year? I don't think it will. Uh, go, going into spring training, those first uh, that last probably two or three weeks before I get there, um, if I had to guess, more than likely I'll start throwing a couple bullpens, but. In terms of that, I probably won't have to be 100% ready when I get there to throw off the mound just because of the, the volume of innings that I'll be throwing during the season where I'm not a starter throwing, you know, trying to throw 200 innings. Um, so I, I think the, necess- the necessity to be ready that early is, is not as heavily weighed upon. And I guess I was thinking more of um, your your overall in terms of you know what you wanted to accomplish because if I remember right, there was one game where they actually brought you in. You went from shortstop to the mound, and I know that you know it was probably a little bit different. Um, and, right. I, and I guess from a physical standpoint, you know, just the recovery aspect. Did you want to get stronger this off season? Core, lower body. Are there certain things where you said, "Hey, now that I've done at least a little bit of this, do I want to change my body in any shape or form based on?" Um, how you felt at the end of last year? Uh, yeah, so uh, you know, physical preparation in terms of working out and stuff is going to be very similar. Uh, maybe add a couple pounds here or there, and then you know, baseball stuff is going to be similar. Uh, I, I felt like what I did last off season helped me a lot this year. Also, also what I did in the weight training side, but it, it's pretty tough to simulate that situation and prepare for you know whatever can happen in that inning and a half or two innings when you come in from shortstop or anywhere in the field where you really don't have a great idea of, you know, you could throw four pitches and be out of the inning or you could throw 
or 23 pitches in the out of the inning. So it's one of those things that's really tough to simulate and prepare for until you actually do it. Um, but that's maybe hopefully something we can accomplish in spring training going forward. And overall, from a mental standpoint, how much is all this, uh, all the success that you had last year, the fact that you're joining Team USA, um, how much does that help you going into next year from just an overall confidence standpoint? Definitely. I think, yeah, from a confidence standpoint, I think it's going to help a lot. Um, you know, I always try to stay confident no matter what's, what situation I'm getting put in, whether it was back in 2018 when I was struggling or this year when I was doing well. Um, you know, just always staying confident because that's how you're going to fight out of those, those little valleys that you have during the season. And you can fight out of those and, you know, stay consistent. Well, you certainly have done that um, in terms of the way you've carried yourself. Um, and obviously you had a terrific 2019 season. We wish you a lot of luck with uh, Team USA and your prep in Arizona and then on to, to Mexico and hopefully beyond that to Japan. Thanks very much for some time on our podcast on This Week in Race Baseball. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, very much appreciate Jake Cronenworth coming on the program and uh, best of luck to Team USA and Premier 12. Um, as mentioned uh, before, this is with Mark Topkin at the Times. This is kind of a quiet period for the race, so I thought it was probably a good time to try and answer some of your uh, your listener questions. A lot of you tweeted me, at Neil Solons or at Ray's Radio, and I figure we'll kind of do our best to answer these in kind of a, uh, a rapid-fire uh, format as best we can. Uh, WC Buckets tweeted in, who grows between this year and next the most, or who are you most excited to see how much they grow? You know, a few guys that I would certainly put at the top of my list. Um, I think Tyler Glasnow showed tremendous growth this year, but remember, he didn't pitch a lot of innings because of injury. So I'm kind of curious if he can maintain over the course of a full season. If he can, I think that really pushes this race team to another level. Um, another guy that I'm anxious to see how he grows next year is Brendan McKay. Uh, let's remember that Brendan went from AA to AAA to the bigs um, and really had to do it in his first full year of professional baseball because the previous season he was hurt for a, a portion of the schedule with oblique injuries. This year he was healthy, and I thought that was a really good step, and now kind of the next step of his evolution, both as a pitcher and I think offensively too if the Rays stay with him as a two-way guy. And the third guy that I'm probably most interested in seeing how he grows is more kind of similar to Tyler Glasnow in the health bucket, and that's Brandon Lau. I mean, Brandon was on a 30-homer, 100-RBI uh, pace before he got injured. Um, so I'm kind of curious if he can be that kind of guy, even if he's not, if he's a 20-80 guy or 25-85 guy or somewhere in that neighborhood with elite defense and good base running ability. Um, that's a tremendous, tremendous asset for the Rays and puts them in great position. Um, got a couple questions on the free agent track. Uh, Wetter asked this, Robert Lloyd Martin the same. Um Chances of signing Yasmani Grandal or any other free agents. Um, I don't think that Grandal, for me, is that realistic. And the reason I say that is other than, let's say, Garrett Cole um, and Anthony Rendon, and then perhaps Steven Strasburg if he opts out, um, I would think that Grandal is at the top of the free agent list in terms of the number of teams that will be interested and the value of said free agent. So if he's in the top three or four guys of free agency, I think it's difficult for the Rays to sign a guy like that. Now, Charlie Morton probably wasn't in the top three or four free agents overall, and there was a little less competition. So I think it's it, it's it, I would anticipate the Rays will have interest on the free agent market, and certainly there would be interest in Grandal. I just think there's going to be too much competition and too high a level um, for what's realistic. 
um, playing on that, um, Don Johnson had asked about catchers. Um, are the Rays in danger of losing anyone Rule 5? And we'll get to that a little bit more as we get closer. And are there any catchers they need to protect? Ronaldo Hernandez is the catcher they need to protect, but he probably is not ready to immediately help the Rays in 2020. Um, he played in high A last year, and I think he's very well thought of. He's a top 10 prospect in a very good system. Um, but he's probably going to start next year at the A level, so he's still a little bit away. Um, and that being the case, what we touched down with uh, Mark Topkin early in the podcast, I think shoring up the catching spot uh, for 2020 is certainly part of the equation here, whether it's trying to bring back Travis Darno, whether it's bringing in another catcher, whether it's free agency, trade, I'm not quite sure. Um, I think the Rays will pursue a number of avenues to try and upgrade the team. Um, and I'm not quite sure which of those will be best suited, but they'll basically go down the, the path they think will give them the best chance to catch up to Houston and New York and better their ball club. And I also got a couple of questions uh, from uh, Robert Jonas and uh, also uh, Robert Lloyd Martin on uh, Brent Honeywell, his potential impact and his schedule right now for 2020. He'll start throwing again in January, which is kind of a normal progression. The Rays are giving him some normal time off, which is good. Um, I think that said, he didn't pitch in 18. He didn't pitch in 19, pretty much. So they're going to have some sort of innings limit, and I would imagine a slow roll into 2020. But that said, I still think that he has a chance to impact the Rays at the major league level at some point, just because of how determined, how driven he is, how talented he is. Um, and I'm certainly hoping for the best for Brad because he's one of the super guys out there. So, um, you know, here's to a healthy 2020 for Brent Honeywell. And along with Honey, I got a lot of questions about Wander Franco on the Twitterverse, too. I think Robert Lloyd Martin included that in his tweet. Um, when can we expect to see him? I'm not quite sure if he'll be ready for 2020. Um, he went from low A to high A. Um, the Rays could push him and start him in double A next year. Um, but that still means he has to get through double A to triple A and then to the big leagues. I think if you're going to see him in 2020, it's near the end of the year. The one thing that has me pause on that is that next year, you're only going to have 28 players on your roster in September. Now it may be a, a rotating 28 players, but it still would be 28 players. Um, so I'm not quite sure. I think a lot would depend on how he grows, how this race team grows and what position they're in in the postseason. I think it's too early to answer, but I don't think anyone doubts that Wander Franco is a big part of this team's future and a big core piece uh, for many, many years to come. Um, certainly thank uh, all your questions on the Twitterverse, and we'll do this from time to time during the course of the offseason. Certainly also want to thank Jay Cronenworth again for coming on our podcast, and of course Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times as well. Uh, you certainly can catch all of our content either via podcast or... Or you can check out us on the Twitterverse, at Rays Radio, at Neil Solons. And we'll have lots of blogs, raysradio.moblogs.com. Um, we'll probably have one more uh, podcast next week before we take a little bit of time away. Um, and then uh, we'll be doing something a little bit unique on the baseball side. We'll touch on that, too, in our next podcast. Thanks for all for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 